know how much y'all pay attention to um, the flow of the lectionary. Um, if you do, good work. Um, so last week uh, we heard from Hebrews as well, and we heard at the end of uh, chapter 12, this is chapter 13, which is the last chapter of the book, um, and the last thing we heard last week is the thing that comes immediately before today's reading. Um, the very end of last week's reading was, our God is a consuming fire! And this week is, let mutual love continue. I love that. Uh, it's almost like the, the writer had to like, take a breath, you know, realize their frustration and release it. God is a consuming fire! Let mutual love continue. I love this. So it's lovely stuff uh, that we read in that, in that reading today about caring for others and recognizing that we have enough. These are sort of continuous themes throughout Scripture. You surely have heard them before. Have hospitality for the stranger. Remember those in prison or those who are being tortured or oppressed. Honor marriage, which mostly in this context means don't cheat on your spouse. Don't do that stuff. Reject the love of money. Money itself can be helpful. Scripture actually tells us that in a number of places, but don't cling to it. You've got enough. It's fine, right? Remember your leaders. Just kidding. Uh, but you get, you get this. These are, these are things you've heard before. How do we live in community, right? We care for each other. We recognize that we don't need to be grasping for other things. We have enough. It kind of reads a little bit like um, the book of Proverbs, short, pithy statements, not really a to-do list exactly, but sort of general reminder of how we're meant to be in community, like a summing up. It's definitely a summing up of the book of Hebrews, um, being near the end, um, the writer is trying to, okay, so let's just, here's the whole thing, got it? Everybody got it? Right? And it's a bit like the summing up of, of Scripture as a whole, because we've, we've heard these kinds of things before. And so, with that consuming fire thing right beforehand, I think one way to, to kind of play with that is to say, even though God is a consuming fire, still share love with each other, right? Not, not the end is nigh, so cling to what's yours. Not God is coming, look busy. Not God is angry, so tell everyone else how all the things they like are what made God angry. No. God is a consuming fire, so take a torch from that fire with you to light your way. It's dangerous out there. So maybe it's a little comforting. I don't know. I don't want to, like, minimize God being a consuming fire. That's a real thing. But this is nice. It's a nice passage. It's lovely. But remember how I've said on a number of occasions, it's important to notice when Scripture on a Sunday skips things. Did you notice that we skipped something? We skipped verses 9 through 14. We went to 8, and then we went 15, 16. You can look up later. If you have your phone on you, you're welcome to look it up now. I don't mind. I'm going to read it to you. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange things, for it is well for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by regulations about food, which have not benefited those who observe them. Hmm, okay. 
We have an altar from which those who officiate in the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Don't worry, I'm going to explain this in a minute, but okay. Maybe this is one of those boring things. Nope, hang on. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the city gate in order to sanctify the people by his own blood. Therefore is a very important word to pay attention to. Let us then go to him outside the camp and bear the abuse that he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Hmm. Why didn't we read that? Well, I didn't tell us to put it in the bulletin. That's why we didn't read it. But why has the lectionary cut that out? So it begins with, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Fair enough. Strange teachings? Yeah, okay, no. It's a little vague, though. What I think are strange teachings, you might not think are. (laughs) And the opposite is true, right? What What exactly does that mean? This is very much like a lot of scripture embedded in its time. There is a particular controversy that is going on in the early church, which is basically we are just very recently removed from being Jewish as a, as a tradition. And that's fine. They're going to do their things. But, like, who are we as Christians? What are we, what are we supposed to do here? And a big part of, at the time, the, the Jewish religious observance was animal sacrifice. They were doing that in the temple. It was a whole thing. Uh, and they were also doing some of it, as it says, outside of the camp. There's a whole religious practice. And these early Christians are like, okay, but the way we understand Jesus is that we don't have to do that anymore. So, right? Sort of distancing ourselves as a people. There's some problems with that, but that's not the point of this. The point is they're saying, okay, that's, that's not us. We're over here now, okay? That, that's the strange teachings they're talking about. Um, they're not that strange, but whatever. Um, and then, you know, we have an altar from, we have an altar from which those who officiate in the tent, it's talking about the tent in Exodus, right? When they were traveling for 40 years and they built a tent for God to be with them in. For people who are in that tradition, that is a different thing. Okay, we're still, it's still distancing. Okay, fine, great. Very specifically, they're talking about the sin offering, which is, again, a very present thing to them. We're going, what is, I don't understand. Why? This, we don't care right now. That's fine. <laughs> Things change. For them, this thing is very present. And they're saying, what do we do about this? This sin offering thing is, is something that's offered outside the camp, and we've got, we've got Jesus, and as we understand it, Jesus is the last sin offering. We don't have to do that anymore. So what do we do about this? It's all weird. They're theologizing. They're like, how, how do we understand all this stuff? Like, when we think about baptism, when we talk about baptism, and you, hopefully you've heard this multiple times, I was literally just saying these things out loud yesterday at a funeral. When we say in baptism that we are connected, united in Christ, and therefore his overcoming death for himself, his resurrection, overcomes death for us as well, that's us theologizing. We're trying to understand how we are connected to God, how we are saved, that baptism means something, right? It's a significant thing. It's a little mysterious. It's not scientific. But somehow we understand that because of that connection, death is overcome for us as well. 
right? You've heard this. So they're doing something similar in this reading because in their history, in their understanding, the sin offering of animals were burned outside the camp in the wilderness. Therefore, Jesus also had to be crucified outside of town because he was the last offering for sin. Does that make some sense? That flows a little bit? Even though the, the context maybe doesn't mean a whole lot to us, that's, that's the flow of it. Now, we can look back historically and say, I mean, he wasn't crucified on Golgotha because of a theological reason. That's just where the Romans did it. Like, historically, that's just that's where the place was, right? Doesn't matter. Does not matter. Why do we light candles? Because the presence of Jesus. Oh, why do we not light the candles? Okay, let's pretend the candles are lit. <laughs> Oops. Um, why do we light candles in church? Because it signifies the presence of Jesus, right? That's lovely. That's beautiful. No, we light candles in church because in the Middle Ages it was dark. <laughs> and we had to see, right? We theologize something that had a legitimate historical... Re- anyway, so this is the theology of what the, the book of Hebrews is doing. Well and good. Fine. Now we have a little semblance of understanding of what's going on. This is the key phrase. Let us then... This is Hebrews saying, all right, so y'all know this, therefore, this is what we're called to do. This is what we are meant to be doing. Because of Jesus' suffering and sacrifice and great love outside, therefore, we need to go outside the camp. For all of that good, good work, that good connection, the, the hospitality, right, the caring for the stranger, we have to go outside, outside of our doors, outside of our ethnic group or our religious group, outside our socio-political understanding, outside of who or what we're comfortable with. Outside is the people that we don't think about for whatever reason. Intentionally, maybe we don't think about them because we don't care for them. Unintentionally, because we're just not aware of their story or their pain. Or maybe unintentionally because we suffer when we think of them and we don't want to suffer. This church just did a survey um, to kind of get a sense of who we are and what we want, what we need in a new senior pastor. Um, And there was a lot of stuff on that survey. Hopefully every single one of you took it. And there's a section about inclusivity. Who is it? Who's welcome here? Who are we including? What could we do better? right? Because we can always do better. So who is it? And there's a whole long list of folks. I don't have the survey results in front of me, so I can't tell you all the things. But I mean, y'all as a people said, yeah, we need to, we need to be a little more welcome. We need to open up. How do we do that? How do we do that? It's <laughs> a good question to ask. This bit that's missing from the reading is reaffirming that love and that hospitality and that support. And it reminds us that we have forgotten some folks. It's asking us to ask ourselves, who's missing? What are the boundaries of our camp now? What's the edge there? What's happening outside that boundary? Who is outside our camp? And I love the ways that we are already doing this. Um, There's Lots of, of examples of this. I'm going to use a really obvious one. I think this, this goes across the board. Um, the obvious one is uh, our volunteer work with Taft Elementary. 
lots and lots and lots of ways that this congregation is already, I mean, obviously physically stepped outside the bounds of the camp of the church, right? But also um, emotionally, right? We do a lot of work there, and this reading is saying, yes, good, yes, yes, and what's the next one? What's the next step? How can we deepen that? At UC, um, we already do a lot of that. Um, you may or may not be aware that the Edge House Campus Ministry um, has sort of established itself as a haven for people who have been hurt by the church. We also have people who haven't been hurt by the church, but we have a lot of folks who come and go, oh, oh, you're, you're nice. That's the bar, apparently, um, which is not good. <laughs> As a side note, that's not good. Um, they, they come and they go, like, we, we have been hurt, we have been abused, we have been oppressed by the church, and we still feel as though there's something out there and we want to participate in community, right? Um, that's often true for the LGBTQ community, but it's true for a lot of folks. And so when I'm on campus, um, one of the ways that, that we support the LGBTQ community is I uh, run a spirituality group in the, the center on campus. And so every Friday when I walk over there um, to go hang out with those students, um, in the same building, I pass by EPS, Ethnic Programs and Services, um, which is one of several different offices that does stuff with um, black, indigenous, people of color. Um, they do fantastic work. Love it. I go by there. I walk by there every day, and I think, man, that's some cool people in there. I'm going to go hang out with them. I'm very white. <laughs> it's not my space. I don't want to take over, Right? And I have been in on a couple of occasions. I've walked in and went like, hi, you guys are great. You know, it's so awkward. It's fine. And they all go, hi. <laughs> when I leave, I have thoughts and plans and schemes. But it's really fascinating because it's not, you could interpret this as I'm outside their boundaries. Yes, absolutely. I don't feel bad about that. I don't feel like I'm outside and, and miserable peering in, right? I think it's amazing that they have created their own camp when they have been outside of so many of the benefits that the university has provided. Um, and that office and many others have been there for a long time. I would love for the Edge House and for EPS to be able to, the metaphor starts to break down a little bit, but I would love for our camps to come closer. I would love for us to kind of the boundaries to cross over a little bit and for us to be in relationship with each other, to take a step towards, right? It'd be amazing. Again, I have thoughts and plans and schemes. We'll see. <laughs> Let me tell you another story. Um, last year on Ash Wednesday, I was on campus with my friend Jeff and uh, we had our cassocks on and we were giving out ashes uh, like you do on Ash Wednesday. Um, looking a little weird and out of place. It's fine. Um, and we had a number of people come up to get their ashes for Ash Wednesday and have a prayer. And a young man came up and uh, was, didn't really want ashes um, because he was formerly Catholic and was very not into that. That's fine. Um, formerly Catholic, now Southern Baptist. And fascinating transition. He really wanted to talk with theology. And I was like, great, let's talk about it. Um, and that happens. That happens a lot. So we had a really interesting conversation. He's very, very much in the space of the Christian faith is about punishment. 
It's about, there's a straight and narrow line you need to follow, and when we don't, God gets angry, and, uh, and you're going to get sent to hell. And I was like, okay, I don't, I did my, I did my normal, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I really agree with you, but this seems very important to you, so tell me more. <laughs> so he did. Uh, we had, we had an, a nice conversation, but it was, it was very clear to me that he had not heard a different story for a very long time. Um, and this was very clearly the story. And, and he hadn't come up against somebody who was not going to judge him for that, um, who was going to be gentle and, and invite questions. Um, I don't know that he'd had questions invited for a long time. Anyway, so we had this good conversation, very clearly in this sort of, you know, fear God, um, avoid punishment, etc. kind of situation. We're talking, it's great. I get drawn into another conversation. So this is a casual situation, whatever. I get drawn into this conversation, and I'm, I was a little tired of the punishment conversation, to be honest, but, so I'm, I'm getting invited over here, and as this is happening, he asks, if it's not about punishment, what is the attraction to the Christian faith? could imagine that most of you have an answer to that, at least one. Abundant life, welcome, delight, so many good, positive, beautiful things. God created us for life and delight. The first thing that God said when God made human beings was, it is very good, not gross. He asked this question, and I felt it, like I, I felt it physically, and I'm like, I'm stuck. And before I could extricate myself to respond, he was gone. I can't even tell you how much regret I have about that. Not that my answer would have fixed it all for him or anything like that, but I wish I had been able to answer that because that's the question. That's his question, and all, all I can pray for him is that he remembers that, that he continues to ask that question, that it comes up for him again, that he can say to himself, yeah, what is it if it's not that? I don't know, friend. I wanted him to take another step, and maybe he was. Maybe having that conversation with us, that was his kind of leaning into something else, leaning, leaning against his boundaries, leaning into the outside of the camp. I don't know. I pray for that guy. And for me, he is a really good example of reminding us to ask ourselves, what is the next thing? What is outside of what makes us comfortable? When I used to do youth ministry, um, I worked for a little bit at a camp that did um, uh, ropes course stuff. Um, And one of the things you do oftentimes in those is you talk about comfort zones. So we invite people who are there to say, to, to notice what it is that makes them comfortable. You have, you have two circles. You're in a circle right now. Everything that makes you so comfy, like the feeling of a cup of tea by a fire with a fluffy animal on your lap or whatever the thing is, right? Everything is great and beautiful and perfect in that comfort space. Fantastic. Now, if you lean a little out, whoo, 
It's a little scary. Okay, okay. You can always get back. It's fine. But also there's a second ring. If you get outside that, everything is on fire. It's terrible and awful and the worst possible space. Now, when you're doing ropes course work, what that means is you are not going to learn anything. You are not going to risk anything when you're out here. Absolutely. If, it, if everything is that bad, absolutely not. But also if you're in that comfort space, nothing's going to change there either because it's too comfy. You've got to be in that space between. And so that guy and this story from Hebrews is calling us to ask, what is our next step forward? What is our boundary? And how can we lean a, a little bit against it? Step a little bit outside it. What is our next right thing? And recognizing even one step, when we take that step, Jesus is already there, offering us a hand. Amen.